This is Dave, and I'm here with Ethan, and together we are Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast, episode 50-Inch. On this week's episode, we interview someone who has been parodied by, covered by, and recorded with Weird Al. It's Chris Ballou of the Presidents of the United States of America. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Weird Al Podcast. It's a podcast about Weird Al. It's Dave and Ethan's 2000-Inch Seriously, the whole podcast is about Weird Al. You don't have to listen, but we're glad you are. Happy Tax Day, Dave! Ethan, I'm not sure if you heard, but they moved Tax Day this year to July 15th? Oh. Well, I had this great episode planned. You know, we were going to devote the entire episode to all things finance and tax. I, you know, I had this great transition plan for the Don Lazo ad. I called in some favors and I got Weird Al's personal accountant. He's on standby right now waiting for our phone call. All right, Ethan, calm down. As exciting as that sounds, maybe we can have our intern Frank reschedule him for later this summer. But this week, we have Chris Ballou from the Presidents of the United States of America as our guest. Oh, that's great! Well, can we at least do the Al News segment? Sure. Well, I think the Al event in the room is the huge New York Times magazine story that came out this past weekend. I think the Al event in the room is that horrible pun. But yes... On Thursday, April 9th, last week, the New York Times profile of Weird Al finally hit the internet, and it also appeared in the Sunday edition of the New York Times. For those of you who were lucky enough to track down the paper on Sunday, there are actually two articles. The main article starts on page 40 of the New York Times magazine. And for that one, the giant picture of the fans is right there on page 40, And if you flip over to page 42, right at the beginning of the actual article, there is a solo picture of our good friend Adriana Yugovich dressed as Weird Al. That is so cool. Now, the accompanying article is on page two of the main section of the New York Times newspaper. It's all about the fans who attended the photo shoot. And Ethan, you remember, now besides Adriana, many of our friends were there at the photo shoot and appeared in that picture with Al. I was blown away by the article, Dave, and I know a lot of the Al fans agree just by talking to people and by people commenting and sharing the article. Reading through it, it was so well written, and it really gave us new insights into Al's life and career. And that's rare for an article to give you and I new insights into Al's life and career. Yeah, and this was a great article. It's been a long time since we've had such an amazing article like this written about Al. There is so much to discuss. I feel like we can do a whole episode on just that article alone and the events leading up to it. We should have Sam Anderson, the journalist who authored the piece, on as a guest sometime. That is a great idea, Dave. In the meantime, we urge our listeners to go check that article out. You will love it. And if you don't like reading, they even put out a podcast of someone reading the article. I listened to that podcast. It was great because, you know, I don't like reading and I also (laughs) love podcasts. So it was perfect. (laughs) Also, last week, there was a clip of Al from the new Looney Tunes that surfaced. It features Al as two mill walk trees named Al and Weird. 
So his characters, they issue a polka challenge to Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, and Porky Pig, and they sing a new song called Polka City. It's really great. You got to check that out. Al must have recorded this a little bit ago because his website in the upcoming TV and film section has listed the new Looney Tunes for quite a while. And as a heads up, that section currently says, listen for Al's voiceover work on upcoming episodes of American Dad, Pete the Cat, Candace Against the Universe, Close Enough, New Looney Tunes, and Star Wars Detours. Al will also appear on upcoming episodes of The Eric Andre Show, Reno 911, and Auntie Donna's House. Oh, Reno 9-11, that's a show with Thomas Lennon, who spoke at Al's Star Ceremony. Yeah. <laughs> I love that show. <laughs> oh, and Jackie and I, man, we love American Dad. That is going to be so awesome. I know this is an unpopular opinion to some people, but I like American Dad even more than Family Guy. It's my favorite of Seth MacFarlane's shows. I agree with you. I love American Dad more than I love <laughs> Family Guy, and I really like Family Guy. <laughs> I cannot wait for all these appearances, and I hope Star Wars Detours is real because I've seen clips of that show, and it's supposed to come out for years, and it looks hilarious. So hopefully, with Disney in charge, they're going to bring it out for us. And for Candace Against the Universe, that's a Phineas and Ferb movie, so I bet that means Milo Murphy makes an appearance. Ethan and I will constantly refresh WeirdOwl.com and refresh YouTube and do our best to keep you updated on when these shows actually air. Last Friday was... Super fan and Al Poster artist Jeff McClellan's UHF Live Watch event. If you missed it, be sure to head on to Twitter and search hashtag UHF Live Watch to catch up on all the trivia and jokes. And we tweeted out a few pictures of me at some of the actual filming locations in Tulsa as well. It was a lot of fun. Thank you to Jeff McClellan for putting it all together. Ethan, remember last week we asked our listeners to submit their takes on our awesome sponsors ads? Well, look, here's one right now. This week's episode brought to you in part by vegan Mexican restaurant Burrito Burrito in Troy, New York, home of the two-pound double wrapped in a quesadilla burrito burrito. Come on down to Burrito Burrito and Burrito Burrito, your burrito burrito. Find them at burritosquared.com and at Burrito Squared on Instagram. And remember, not every burrito is a burrito burrito burrito, but every burrito 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 can be burritoed burritoed. Thank you to our listener, Vincent Anderson, for reading that tongue twister of an ad. And after he sent it, he said, how did you guys read that so fast every week? <laughs> <laughs> well, I record myself yelling random crap with a mouthful of water twice. And then I have our intern, Frank, reverse them both. And I overlay them on top of each other. Eh, tricks of the trade. Another thing we wanted to mention, our friend Metal Al, a.k.a. Chad Kelson, recently released UH Death. His long-awaited follow-up to Dare to be Metal with even more Metal Weird Al song covers. I love this. Some of the songs included are CNR, UHF, Let Me Be Your Hog, and there's even a medley of Al's food songs aptly called Food Metally. <laughs> Plus, if you download the album from Bandcamp, it comes with a special bonus track. It's the cover that he did of our theme song by Jim Kimo West. That is so awesome. It's worth the download just for that theme song. So be sure to pick up Metal Al's albums by heading over to metalal.bandcamp.com. And Dave, did you know 
That Dave and Ethan's 2,000-inch Weird Al podcast is brought to you in part by Dave Canyon's Dummy It Down with Dave podcast. It's the fastest podcast on Earth. Dave Canyon records from his 2008 Kia Rio LX while commuting to and from work on the New York State Thruway. Discussion topics include family, friends, relationships, pop culture, workplace situations, politics, and human behavior. It's all about pragmatism, truth, happiness, and the search for it all. Listen everywhere podcasts are available and at Dumbing It Down with Dave. Dave.com. Dave, I have something to come clean about. Oh boy, not that whole National Burrito Day thing again, is it? No, no, this one doesn't involve mur- uh, uh, no, no, it's something different. Well, Ethan, this is a safe place. I hope you know that you can tell me and all of our listeners around the world what is on your mind. Your deepest, darkest secrets. Okay, you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Alright, well, sometimes I... <sighs> sometimes you what? Sometimes I listen to music other than Weird Al. What? Are you f***ing kidding me? I'm sorry. I knew I should have gotten that tarantula or spider as a co-host when I had the chance. You know, he only spins two things, webs and Weird Al albums. (laughs) Don't rub it in. (laughs) Now, now, Ethan, don't cry. I think it's okay if you don't exclusively listen to Weird Al. But only as long as your listening habits similarly follow the Canadian Radio Television and Telecommunications Commission radio broadcasting rules for protecting Canadian culture and identity. You mean it? Yes. Much like Canadian radio stations must air a minimum of 35% of music made by Canadians, as long as you're listening to Weird Al music at least 35% of the time, you qualify to be one of Weird Al's biggest fans and a co-host of Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. And it doesn't hurt that your name is Ethan. Oh, phew, that's great news. Well, I definitely hit the 35% rule. I think I clock in around... mm, 99.27%. I feel like you can get that percentage number up a little bit, but yeah, okay, I'll allow it just this one time. So why did you decide to bring this all up? Well, Dave, I wanted to mention that when I'm not listening to Weird Al... Right, in the one hour, 13 minutes, and 35 seconds per week you've allotted... One of my absolute favorite artists to listen to are the Presidents of the United States of America... Oh, yeah, they are the amazing band behind Lump, which Al parodied with his song Gump from the double platinum Bad Hair Day album. Yes, Lump is probably the only, quote, original song I listen to on a regular basis. You mean within your 63 hours, 46 minutes, and 20 seconds per year of non-Weird Al music listening time? Yes, exactly. So you can understand how excited I am for our guest this week. I know how excited I am. I can only imagine how excited you are. We are thrilled to have on the program someone known to fans of music and fans of Al for decades. He's the lead singer of my favorite non-Weird Al band, the President of the United States of America. He's more recently known for his Grammy-nominated children's music records under the name Casper Baby Pants, and his credentials in the Weird Al universe make him as close as humanly possible to a Weird Al version of an EGOT. Not only has he written a song about Al, Al parried one of his songs, covered one of his songs, and performed on one of his songs, and so much more. We are delighted to introduce the amazing Chris Ballou. Woohoo! 
that's me. That's me. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. What do I win? What do I win? <laughs> you, you win a spot on Dave and Ethan's 2000 inch Weird Al podcast. <laughs> oh, I've wanted that my whole life. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Chris, we've wanted to have you on the show since before we even started the podcast. You came up as someone who we just absolutely had to have on. So we're thrilled to have you on. It finally came true. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, any, any chance to talk about Al, I will jump at it. He's a fantastic human being, and he's become a good friend, and uh, I love him as a musician and a person. So I'm happy to expose on the Al. <laughs> so what's really exciting, as a President of the United States of America fan, very recently, you guys had a Kickstarter campaign to release the first album on vinyl for the first time. I am thrilled. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have pledged. I'm thrilled that it made it. I'm thrilled that it's coming soon. What can you tell us about that? Well, uh, it's a, something that I kept bringing to the table every time Dave and Jason and I would get together. We get together like mm, three times a year for a little like powwow, uh, have lunch and talk about stuff. And generally it's like businessy stuff. And I kept bringing up like, hey, we need to do vinyl because I've been doing Casper Baby Pants vinyl and it's been selling really well. And uh, after two years of me trying to bring it up, and I actually kind of put the word out and got a bunch of, um, you know, proposals from independent record labels and even Sub Pop and a bunch of other places wow. um, to collaborate on it. And in the end, uh, Jason kind of took it over because I realized I was just too busy with the Casper thing to spearhead it. So Jason Finn drummer extraordinaire in the president, uh, spearheaded this whole thing. He wrote all the copy. He organized everything. He kind of took all the people that I got, you know, um, proposals from and sifted through them and figured out a plan. And he basically shouldered most of it and, uh, hired one of the, um, independent, uh, kind of, uh, public publicists or coordinators to help with coordinating the whole thing. And, uh, yeah, he just knocked it out of the park. I mean, he, uh, I think it took his toll on him. He was like, he's not used <laughs> to doing that kind of like intense organizational stuff, but it's right in his wheelhouse. He used to love the part of touring where it's like, you know, the game of settling the show or, um, negotiating the deal. Uh, he was really into the sort of art of the deal, if you will. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of perfect that he could take that over. Um, and, you know, I kicked in uh, stuff with, like, art um, stuff for the record, uh, pictures for promotion and stuff like that, but he really did most of it. So, um, yeah, we launched it, and I think we achieved our goal in, like, 30 hours or something, you know, just just over a day. Um, and then it just went on and on and on and on and on. And we didn't do it really because we couldn't afford to make the albums. We did it because we wanted to see how many people wanted them really. Right. right. Uh, so that we didn't end up making, you know, 10,000 albums and then 1000 people want albums. And then we've got 9,000 albums. So, uh, I just like to say that because, you know, I don't, I, I'm a little torn on the whole Kickstarter, uh, you know, crowd sourcing thing. You know, my punk rock DIY self is like, that's bullshit, man. If you, you know, do what you can do, you know, right. work with your limitations, you know. Uh, and then, uh, but there's the other side of it where people really love to be connected to the band in that way. And they love to feel like they're part of the 
sort of, you know, part of growing the project and making the project happen. So I get that. And then also, like I said, with the vinyl, it really helps to know how many to make. So, yeah, <laughs> it was good. It was good. And I think we I think we achieved our goal, like something like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, like 12 times over Whoa. or something by the end. <laughs> one for every inch. That's great. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> up the 12 inch. <laughs> Yeah, so that's kind of that, and I think we we signed uh, over thirty three hundred albums, Jeez. which was uh, <laughs> and we luckily got that done right before the uh, shutdown, oh, the wow, uh, yeah. you know shelter in place thing. So those are all apparently off and running, and so everything's still on schedule with that, <laughs> despite all the uh, weirdness. As that's far awesome. as I know. Well, one of those signed ones wow. is coming to me, so I'm very excited for that. All right. We set aside <laughs> the best one for you. Oh, good, good. <laughs> now, you guys did a like kind of a crowdfunding thing really before crowdfunding was a regular thing. It was Pledge Music, right? Oh, yeah, Pledge Music. Was that the one we did for Kudos to You? Yes. Yeah, yes. you had these really cool prizes like you know, original handwritten lyrics and, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Did that just come from like, hey, I'm going to clean out my garage and just? Yes, <laughs> it did. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, re, I'm a raging minimalist. Okay. So every so often I get really like upset by how much you know detritus I have from my life, and I just look at it all and go like, what's important? And I went through this phase where I was like, I'll just take a picture of everything, you know, and then yeah, because somebody out there is going to want, you know, the original lyrics for Lump. They're not really doing me any good sitting in a box, right? in my house and it's going to make somebody out there super happy to have that. So I just took a picture of it and then gave it away. That's um, so cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was the source for a lot of that stuff. And then we gave away like, I don't remember like 20 or 25, two strings and three string guitars. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> we had to set that up and, and those came with a lesson, an online lesson. No so, way. <laughs> yep. 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 Yeah, that was a very successful campaign too. That was great, and a great album came of it. I I was thrilled, mm. and that was really the first time I you know really contributed to an online crowdfunding thing, and I thought it mm. went really well. Yeah, was it was that the early days of that kind of thing? I wasn't really super aware of where that yeah. landed in the history of those. Things. It was definitely early on. It was before it was mainstream. And um, mm-hmm. what's interesting to Weird Al fans is Pledge Music is what Al ended up using for his Squeeze Box campaign oh yeah that's the big box set right yeah right yeah that, another i mean again i'm sure he did that to get a sense of the you know interest it's it's a great tool for that yeah kind of thing. oh totally in fact gee right. i have you know i have a new casper seven inch single that i'm thinking of making maybe i should do a little thing like that so that so that uh i know how many to make yeah hey <laughs> wait a minute maybe i should hire jason finn to do that for me ah <laughs> That is a good idea. Okay, here we go. I'll put that on the to-do list. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I guess I never realized at, you know, how DIY the presidents were. Like, So it sounds like Jason was kind of your tour manager in a sense. Well, not in the old days. You know, we had a manager, okay. Stacy Slater. Um, and then when we broke up, we didn't have a manager, obviously. And then we got back together, and we kind of had Stacy again for a minute. And then we went to this guy, Dave Minert, and he was with us until I think Jason did become our drum manager, as we called him. <laughs> um, I think that was like I want to say like 2011 or 12 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Jason or 10, 11, something like that. He uh, 
stepped in and did the job. And, uh, yeah, it worked out well. well. I mean, we were on the back end of our arc at that point anyway, so we were kind of, you know, gigs were a lot less frequent and it was easier to deal with. So, okay, yeah. Now, I know all the, the President's fans are wondering, and they're going to want me to ask this, you know, with the successful Kickstarter, is there any chance we're going to see, you know, reunion shows or new albums or new music? Uh, you know what? My attitude with that is always never say never. Uh, because if, you know, we broke up in 98 and, uh, at that point I was like, Oh, there's no way I'm done. You know, like <clears throat> lo and behold, we got back together again five years later for 13 more years. So, <laughs> uh, you never know. Um, I don't, you know, I don't really own that, in, that gear anymore. I don't have any ear monitors. I don't have those, those two strings. I gave them away and <clears throat> I gave away my amp. And, um, so I don't really own the gear. I do own the original two string that I played on the debut album, though, so I could go back to my roots and play that. <laughs> that would be kind of cool. That would be but really uh, cool. you know, I guess the long, long, the short version of the long story is um, I don't see it happening. I mean, uh, you know, just as a person, I'm kind of, I'm definitely done making music that's so loud that I have to plug my ears. <laughs> Let's put it that way. I will not be plugging my ears uh, at my own show ever again. Because, yeah, I have enough tinnitus to last me for the rest of my life. So, yeah. All right. So we talked a little bit about the President's United States. And, of course, you've got that great number one hit you know, on the Billboard's Modern Rocks charts, Lump. And then, of mm -hmm. course, Al turned that into Gump. Can you yeah. tell me a little bit about the process? How did you find out that Al was going to do the song Gump to Your Lump? Wow, I do not remember how I found out. I remember feeling incredibly happy about it. Um, <laughs> I mean, what a, a, you know, I grew up watching MTV. I was there when MTV came online. Me and my friend Dale were in his basement. They had a giant projection TV, and we watched it go from static to here they are. Wow. Yeah, and um, so, you know, that generation of people, Weird Al's, like, knitted into that world. He was built for MTV. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that just seemed like another world, a faraway land of, you know, people who were not me. <laughs> and I, I would probably never hang out with any of them. So when I find out he's making a video and, you know, that's great. And lo and behold, I'm the lead singer. He'll be playing me in a video. <laughs> I mean, the kid watching MTV on the couch uh, can't make sense of that, you know. Uh, in fact, still to this day, there's a lot of people I know and people I collaborate with. And I'm, I'm, I look at them kind of sideways like, uh, why are you hanging out with me? I'm just that kid on the couch watching MTV. <laughs> ridiculous. So anyway, um, yeah, it was a super big honor. Like, amazing. You know, a, 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 a jewel in the crown. You bring up a really good point, because for the hundreds of parodies Al's done, the number of times that he's actually dressed up and parodied the actual person who's the singer in the original is pretty rare. I mean, it's only happened, you know a dozen or so times. So that's actually a really mm. rare thing to have happen. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's great. And he did a great job with it. And he, his high kicking was <laughs> is comparable to mine for sure. I think he's, I think it, you know, oh, I haven't done my high kicks for a while. He's, he's a little more limber at this point than I am. So. Although I talked to him the other day and he's like kind of just sitting around the house. So, Maybe he's not as limber <laughs> with the whole shutdown <laughs> thing. You know, I might be more limber. 
Now, I did see in an interview, I believe it was with the Midnight Star, you did say that you learned about the song Gump in a face-to-face conversation with Al. Oh, did I? You oh, did. wow. I don't remember that. <laughs> <And> <laughs> There's it, an amazing amount of stuff to forget, I have learned. It's a and, lot to forget. And the interview also, you said that you were the first person that Al actually played his parody to. Jeez, mm, I don't remember where that happened. That's crazy. <laughs> All right, I'll send you the interview. <laughs> wow. Yeah, no, I mean, I believe it. I believe what I said. I just... <laughs> It's so weird. Like, yeah, there's so much happened during those years. It's just like, you know, I can't, I guess my brain couldn't process all of it. Yeah. So. It was also like <laughs> 24 years ago that that interview happened. So. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. And, you know, Al and I have hung out a lot. So it's not like it was the only time we ever interacted. So. Right, right, right. So obviously you were a fan of Al and you reacted excitedly when you found out. Uh, how did the, the rest of the band take it? Were they as excited? Uh, I think I was the most excited, actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Dave and J- I don't think Dave and Jason, I don't know. You know. I don't want to speak for them, but I got the impression that it was really kind of um, less uh, of a, I don't know, like less of a big deal to them than it was to me for some reason. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. I think, I think, uh, I think Dave and Jason kind of um, were, uh, I don't know, they had a different, a little different vision of the band maybe than I did. I think when the band started getting bigger, um, I think they liked that growth, and I did not like oh. that growth. I, I liked our little cabaret act for a hundred <laughs> people, uh, you know, where things could get weird and we could make stuff up. And when when the band got bigger, we became more of a machine, you know, like mm. fire up the machine. Here we go. We're in front of fifty thousand people on a racetrack in Germany. We got to reach the back. So let's right. keep it together. Um, and I, I always felt like they kind of thrived on that. They, they fed more off that than I did. Um, but I don't know. I don't want to speak for them again. You'd have to talk to them. Um, so when I, I think at the point when Al came into our universe, I think those guys were feeling like take like I think we were on slightly different pages as far as I still thought of the band as this silly, stupid thing, and um, not stupid, but uh, kind of not professional, like amateur goofball cabaret, you know, silly song machine. Yeah. And I think those guys were kind of on the way to thinking of us as like a legacy act that we're going to grow and make lots of records and be influential. And um, somehow the association with Al maybe was more exciting to me than it was to them because I think they might have seen it as more of a uh, less serious kind of thing i don't know it's Hmm. you know again it was a long time ago but and that's a long-winded answer (laughs) that's kind of also through the fog of time and with a lot of disclaimers because i don't want to speak for dave and jason but uh (laughs) but there you go there's my answer it's very yeah and then i just trail off (laughs) all right so then jump ahead 12 years or so and you have the song mixed up sob which al was the director on so then that was your idea i assume that al direct that video yeah it was yeah um i think by that point uh well you know we had andrew in the band we had a different guitar player um we were we had broken up we had reformed we were feeling more relaxed about ourselves and our place in the world you know again like when we were on our ascent we were being given a lot of 
you know, a lot of smoke being blown up our butts by people in suits <laughs> saying that we're important, you know. <laughs> and I think that's what kind of got to Dave and Jason. And uh, so at this point, we're reformed after a five-year break. Uh, Dave has left the band, and it's a little more like, okay, we're we're just, you know we're just a silly little band. So, um, and Al's a great director. I love the other videos he's made. And uh, so yeah, he had this very elaborate idea to do um, flip books. So there was a whole day of shooting to make the books, and then he went away and had the books made, and then we got back together and we had to rehearse flipping the books in time. Wow. I was the only one that could actually do the books in time. <laughs> so um, I had to do all that while Jason and Andrew sat around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, and it's a little frustrating because I think uh, it was a great idea, but the image inside the flip book got so small when it went inside a frame and showed the hands and then it went on YouTube, which is, all you know, like, so that the action of the video, a lot of it is, a little hard to read because it's in a book, which is in a frame, which is in the YouTube environment. <laughs> so, um, but it was a really, is a cool, ambitious project. And it was really, really fun to work with Al on that, on a, you know, creative project over the course of time. I love that video. I love that song and that album, but I, I'm so curious about what goes into directing a music video with, with so many kind of like, you know, the, the flip books and the green screen effects and the Guitar Hero stuff. Like, what goes into actually putting that together? What sort of things was Al working on? Well, all of that. I mean, he had to reverse engineer the whole thing so that the flip book parts were, you know, he had to come up with the the basic concept, I guess, of like sometimes flip books would come in and, and interact with each other and, right. you know, push each other out of the way and or something would happen in one that would affect the image in the other. So he had to kind of, you know, reverse engineer it from what he wanted to, you know, making the books and doing the initial shoot. So, yeah, it was a real, like, math problem jigsaw puzzle to us. And, you know, that's Al's mind. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 I think he approaches projects very meticulously and with a lot of patience and attention to detail and uh, a high standard of quality. So I, you know, I think for him, it was just, it was a lot of pre work for him that we didn't see. So right, right. He, we just kind of showed up and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going <laughs> to, you know, hold your breath and then you're going to do this move. And then, and it was all like, it was kind of like when we shot the peaches video and, um, Roman Coppola who made that had watched a Kung Fu movie and he was like, I want to have you guys get attacked by ninjas. <laughs> and so we shot all that in pieces you know like all right this one you're gonna fall backwards and that's it okay now the next <laughs> shot you're gonna like you know jump out of this tree into an airbag and then he just took all that away and made it into a sequence so al kind of it was kind of okay. the same thing it yeah. was like i want you to hold your breath okay hold it longer hold it longer good okay that's it and then let's go to the next thing so it was really like it was really kind of piecemeal and mysterious to us we didn't really know what was going right on. yeah that's amazing Oh, but one other thing, one other thing, we did we did uh, hang out with Al uh, the night before the first shoot, or maybe it was the night before the second shoot when we had the flip books and we were trying them out. Went to his hotel room, which was in the Edgewater Inn where the Beatles stayed when they were in Seattle. So oh. that was kind of fun to be in the, I'd never had a reason to go in there, so got to go in the hotel, and I'm a massive Beatles fan, duh, and um so that was kind of a nice moment. Uh, not only did we get to hang out with Al, but we got to do it where the Beatles slept. That is so. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, because you, I mean, you live in Seattle. You don't really go to a hotel very often. <laughs> no, not in Seattle, no. Yeah. So going back to, to Lump for a second, I was curious, when you're writing Lump, did, you know, Forrest Gump was a big movie at that time. Did any Gump come into your brain as you're writing lump or was it just completely a separate track uh no not no not at all um really i don't frankly remember coming up with the chorus i had it on a little tape deck i used to like sort of collect uh little song ideas on a micro cassette de- uh, player kind mm-hmm. of thing recorder and then I would kind of put it on and clean my room or do the dishes or whatever and kind of wait for the, this sort of, um, you know, swirl of fragments of songs to grab me, like something might kind of leap out and I'd be, whoa, that's cool, what's that? Yeah. And if it didn't do that, I would kind of ignore it. So that kind of jumped out and then I kind of just threw the verses together. I, I imagined uh, literally what the song says is what I saw in my head, which is a woman in a house coat sitting in a river. Um, I like a big dumb woman. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, my way of writing songs is I have to see something okay. in my in my mind, and then I just describe it with the lyrics. But the first step is I have to have something to describe. If I don't, you know, I can do just a song that sounds cool or whatever. But um, if I don't have some picture, I feel like um, <clears throat> I just feel like a song that describes an image is uh has a leg up on songs that are more abstract so anyway yeah i just saw that image in my head and uh and sang about it basically (laughs) (laughs) so as a fan of both lump and gump what i i I love is maybe the best outcome of the parody is now um when you guys have performed lump live you do end the song with alice line and that's all i have to say about that and i got to see that in person a few years ago and it was just amazing. Oh yeah, we yeah we started doing that right away. Yeah, and that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, you know, at a certain point, I kind of forgot that that was Al's line. Yeah. I, you know, I didn't listen to our. I hadn't listened to our version for so long. I forgot, and then I think we were, yeah, we were remixing it for Rock Band or something, and yeah. I heard our ending, and I was like, oh. That's not our, that's, that's Al's ending. I forgot. I I really, I don't think that a story like that has happened on any other musicians. I I feel like that's a unique thing. Uh, Dave, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. It might be. Yeah, what do you think, Dave? Yeah, I mean, I've heard um, the American Pie song. Oh, Saga Begins. Yeah, Saga Begins. Might be Vader someday later, but for now. What, are you saying Don McLean? Uh, Don McLean, yeah, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll reference that song occasionally. But yes, I mean, definitely, I get you know the fact that the original band, the President of the United States, you know, took some of Al's lyrics and incorporated it into their own live performance. That that kind of thing has not happened before. Yeah, I think it's a little funny too that he covered a song by us because typically, you know, he'll take a song that's serious or you know, like. You know, trying to be badass like Michael Jackson's bad and right. make it fat. So he takes something and he kind of like right. neuters it. And we were already silly, and then he made us he made us more silly. Right. <laughs> so I don't know if there's another band where he's covered a like. I feel like we're sort of in the same universe to begin with, and then he covers one of ours. You know what I mean? Like I guess Lola to some extent is not seen as a serious song when he did Yoda. Oh yeah. That, yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's true. The kinks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's still a rare thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Definitely. I love it. So the last thing I had on, on Lump and Gump, when he's actually filming this video and he's dressing up like you, you guys were already friendly at that point. Was there any talk of you actually making a cameo in the video or on the track <laughs> or anything like that? No, that never came up. That would have been amazing, but uh, <laughs> no, no, that no. I wish, I wish. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Have you and the band ever performed Lump, but sang Alice lyrics all the way through? Um, no, we haven't. We have had Al do the song with us. Yeah. Yep. In L.A., uh, we did that one time. He popped up for the, uh, an encore, and we did his version. We had done it in the set, and then we did it in the encore, and he sang it. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, and then we also, I mean, we've had him pop up on stage a lot. We've, uh, one time in L.A., we were, we communicated, I, we were on our way to L.A., and I, t I called him up, and I was like, yeah, let's do something, you know, something at the show we didn't know what we were going to do, and uh, Boston's More Than a Feeling came to mind because <laughs> I literally listened to that song every day while I was writing all the songs for the debut President's record. Okay. And um, I'd, I literally would wake up this morning and the sun was gone, put on some music to start my day, lost myself in a familiar song. Like <laughs> every day I would start the day with that uh, <laughs> thing. And so I was like, let's do More Than a Feeling with you on accordion. And... Um, <laughs> So lots of back and forth and, you know, listening to the original, transposing it to our instruments. Al actually had to go buy an electronic accordion, which is totally against his religion because <laughs> our, our songs are all in C sharp because that's what our guitars are tuned to. So C sharp is a very awkward key on the keyboard. And so we had to transpose the song a half step or two. Uh, to play along with us. So yeah, he actually went out and bought an electronic accordion just to do this one song. <laughs> There's a really crude video of it up on YouTube. So, but I like the crudeness because it's very distorted and like out of control. And I was at that point on tour, I had a fan in front of me because I get really hot. Mm -hmm. I don't have any hair, so it wasn't a big deal. But Al got in front of the fan and it was just blowing his hair <laughs> like he was in like a, you know, 1982 heavy metal video. It was amazing. Wow. And actually, after that night, I think, if I remember right, he said, oh, a fan on stage, what a great idea. And he started using a fan yeah. on stage. <laughs> yeah, because he was like, oh, I didn't know I could do that. <laughs> I, I love that story that Al bought the uh, electronic recording, because he did use an electronic recording, possibly that exact one, on his ill-advised vanity tour a couple years ago. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. Well, that's how I remember it. Um, you know, obviously, you say Al listens to the podcast. So, um, Al, if I got anything wrong about anything, you know, <laughs> uh, let me know. <laughs> because, you know, my memory is not that tight. I don't remember you playing me the song uh, back in the day. So, Well, what's, what's really amazing, I believe the three of us were actually at a show together. Stringed, uh, what was it? Yeah. Strings Attached Tour here in Seattle. Like, I don't know, that was like, six months ago maybe which uh, show was i know there were three shows that you yeah to... he lost his voice it was bad news um i saw the first one the friday would have been the friday yeah, night friday. Yep. yeah and then he had two shows the next day and um i had gotten my niece in to see him and her son is a massive fan and 
Uh, but Al couldn't hang out with him because he, after the morning Saturday show, he kind of lost his voice, so he had to like conserve. Uh, that was that was the most shows he's done in a row ever. So he was like as you know that close together. Right. So it was kind of a stressful scene for him. But when we hung out on Friday night after the show, he he didn't know he was going to lose his. I, he probably lost his voice because we were talking too much. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that, everybody. <laughs> What's, what's really amazing about the ill-advised vanity tour, Al ended each of his sets, you know, in the encore with a cover of someone else's song. So not a parody, straight cover. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he covered Peaches in Augusta, Georgia. What a perfect place. Yes, I did see that, actually. <laughs> what yeah. did you hear about that? I saw it online. I think, I don't know if he told me about it, maybe? I can't remember. I think he did. I think he uh, sent me a link. Yeah. That's so awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was great. Yeah. I love hearing Gump, where it's like his own words, but then I love hearing his interpretation of one of your songs. I think that's just so cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I do too. It's great. I That was such a great idea, doing a different cover every night in the encore. I love that. It's a really fun challenge for somebody who's been on the road for as long as he yeah. has. <laughs> yeah, they did a lot of shows, so that was a lot of songs to to learn and do one time. Oh yeah, totally. Well, you know, I mean, he's a he's a just like a a musical mathematician, so I think he he can he's one of those I think he's one of those people who can kind of, you know, absorb and and rebroadcast stuff easily. I am like other people's songs. I have a hard time with that. I am so wrapped up in my own song universe in my head that I, I just, I cannot remember. I do lots of like, you know, um, fundraiser things. Like there was a Neil Young themed fundraiser for a, uh, charity here in Seattle. And I, it was a very simple song that I picked, but I just had to have the lyrics printed out cause I can't get inside other people's songs. Mm. You know, I can't see what they saw, you know, like, when I sing a song now, well, with the presidents, I would I would remember what I originally saw when I wrote it, and then I would the lyrics would come because there was the picture. But with other people's songs, I don't know what the picture is. So, one one thing that I really enjoy about presidents is that you you guys have given us kind of a look inside some of your thought processes. You've released a lot of those demo tracks. The Monkey River EP, hearing all these different versions, is is really interesting for a fan to... That's not even an EP. That's a full album. Right. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's that's full album worth of tracks. But I guess I think it's an EP. But yeah, it really is a full album. I mean... You know what? Later on, um, I realized that I missed one. I had a oh, no. I had another one that I completely <laughs> forgot to put on there. So. What was the story behind that album? Oh, it's that song. I mean, that song is... So that song's about when I was a little kid, and I went to the zoo, and I remember this. I really wanted to jump over the fence and live with the monkeys on Monkey <laughs> Island at the zoo. And I, was, I just would spend all the whole day like trying to climb up. It was like kind of a cement-curved barrier. And I would try to climb up this thing and get over it. I, you know, no thought about what would happen if I actually got in there. But, and I tried to write this song about just, I don't know, the maybe what I thought it would be like to live in there. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so I had this very strong, like, like emotional, um, kind of abstract feeling about this 
atmosphere I wanted the song to conjure, and I just couldn't get the recorded versions to do that. I couldn't, you know, the chords were there and everything, but I couldn't figure out whether it was supposed to be heavy or sparse or guitars or, you know, distorted or acoustic or whatever. I, I just couldn't find the right chemistry that made that super magical feeling re- get rebroadcast back out of the speakers. Mm-hmm. So I just kept trying over and over and over, and I don't think I ever figured it out. I even did a completely different version with different uh, chord progressions on the first Casper Baby Pants album, and um, it wasn't it either. So <laughs> I've really never been able to decode or recode <laughs> that feeling into a song. <laughs> So, yeah. So I just thought, you know, like, oh, this is a weird opportunity. I could show the whole, <laughs> if, if none of them are right, maybe all of them are wrong. <laughs> or if none of them are, if they're all wrong, maybe all of them are right. There you go. You know, it's kind of like a, a vulnerable thing for a musician to put out, you know, something that's necessarily not finished or not the, the version that you see. I mean, what gave you that confidence to, to put out something that really, I think, is an amazing look into your brain uh well i've i mean i started out making cassettes of weird four track recordings and then i got really abstract with that and i would put out really rough uh just weird (laughs) um so and that and that's my my whole like uh you know origin is diy messy amateur four tracky you know all the warts um all the mistakes you know, just let it go. And as I've become more of a, you know, uh, developed musician and had success and stuff, uh, some of that's fallen away and it's become more about like with the Casper stuff, my, my, um, sort of goal is to make songs that are like uh, the, uh, like analogous to like a fine, uh, dovetail joint box, you know, like a beautiful crafted little woodwork project or something, you know, Mm -hmm. but, all the parts fit perfectly together and they're all balanced and all going towards a direction versus in the old days I was super sloppy. So I like to show the sloppy side sometimes because it's my, you know, um, uh, it's my origin kind of vibe, right. <laughs> if you will. Right. Yeah. Of course you had, you just mentioned Casper baby pants. Now what inspired you to change your career from a rock musician into a children's musician? Well, my whole life, I've been trying to figure out who I am uh, as a person and then trying to make sure that I'm making music that is completely transparent as far as representing who that person, who I really am. So it took me a long time to figure out who I really was. There's a lot of experimenting and figuring, you know, like mistakes and uh, messes and, uh, and, and good decisions and successes, messes and successes. <laughs> if you will. And, uh, but all the while I knew there was this sort of ultimate destination where I would finally figure out who I am and how that true nature was supposed to be expressed musically. The presidents were pretty close, but definitely not it. Um, it was too chaotic, too crazy, too, you know, flavor of the month, too much pressure, um, too much coolness, whether we were trying to be cool or not, we had to relate to what was cool. Um, and I just always felt like, eh, this is not it. This is, this is great. It's fine. Yay. We're successful. But 
And uh, I just discovered over time that I am much more kind of, uh, you know, the president's music was like innocence and innuendo kind of mixing. You know, it was like, are we singing about a kitty and peaches and or is it double entendre, you know, like. And the friction between those two really made that band go. And I knew that that wasn't really what I wanted to do because I had a hard time replicating it. You know, we captured it on that first record and then it just recapturing it was really stressful and difficult. And um, I knew that my final destination wouldn't be so hard to, um, you know, it wouldn't be so hard to write songs once I, fig once I figured it out. And then over time I realized, well, I'm actually way more just the innocent stuff. I'm not as much the, you know, innuendo and the sexuality and all that stuff in the songs. I'm more like, I'm more like a kid. I'm more like, I want to live like a kid. I want to, you know, see the world like through little children's eyes, everything's new, everything's weird. Um, and so I started making these songs that were more and more simple and acoustic. And uh, this is after, you know, 15 or 20 years of trying different experiments on the side to see what is this music that I'm supposed to be making. Mm -hmm. And uh, finally, yeah, I met my second wife, Kate, and her artwork really struck me. Um, it was very simple and innocent and bright and well-formed and full of animals and, you know, beautiful and folksy and simple. I was like, all these adjectives I want to use to describe this elusive music, and I started making music to, um, you know, that was inspired by her artwork and realized, oh, oh my God, I should be making kids' music. That's it. <laughs> it was like this huge cartoon light bulb went off over my head, and... Um, <laughs> Uh, so, and it was incredibly relaxing when I figured it out and it's turned out to be the right decision because, you know, I'm putting out my 17th album in 10 years on wow. May 1st wow. and I've got two more after that that are almost done. Um, so the, just like outpouring of creativity is, you know, the most obvious evidence that I found my voice. So it really wasn't a decision to like try something else. It was just this lifelong search concluded. Right. Wow. Yeah. What's really incredible is this past year you were nominated for a Grammy for your work as Casper. Yeah, I was. And I didn't uh, solicit for that. That was somebody contacted me from the Academy and said, Hey, I want to put you up for consideration. And I said, fine. And then I got the nomination. I was like, fine. And then I didn't win. I was like, fine. <laughs> it's more, it's easier to say three times Grammy nominated than twice Grammy nominated, one time Grammy winner. <laughs> so I'm happy I lost. I mean, that must have been, though, like a good, you know, obviously the, the Casper Baby Pants stuff is selling well and it's popular, but that, that's a... You know, that's the industry saying, hey, you, you didn't make the wrong choice by going into children's music. You made absolutely the right choice. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't need a Grammy. I didn't need a Grammy to tell a uh, nomination to tell me that. But it was really nice because, you know, we had it twice before with the presidents. Um, and that was thrilling and everything and made a big difference in our worlds. Um, and we went to the Grammys and that was fantastic because, you know, it was in the old um, uh, Shriners Auditorium where the I think it's where the uh, um, Oscars were held in the, you know, heyday, like the 60s and 70s in Hollywood. And it was a beautiful environment and uh, super fun. And um, and back then we lost, but we lost to Nirvana and the Beatles. So what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, 
uh, you can't really beat those yeah, folks. It's kind of hard to. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I didn't feel too bad about that, but it was really nice to find my voice, do it all by myself on my own. Cause I always felt like I should not be in a band. I should be like more like a sculptor in a studio, like sculpting something or a painter. Um, working solo, working toward this like very clear goal. Um, and so to achieve a nomination while doing it my way with my vision was incredibly satisfying and very flattering. It's very prolific to be putting out 17 albums of, <laughs> of yeah. new stuff. I mean, that, I mean, do you have a schedule or is it really just like when the inspiration comes? No, it, it's kind of, well, inspiration is always coming. I'm always working on tons of songs they're all kind of in different stages of disrepair and i kind of hop around and mm-hmm. you know i'll listen to one one day and go oh those background vocals need to be tightened up okay let's work on that and then <laughs> the next day i'm like hey there's a little uh you know handheld recording of me making something up i need to develop that so every day i'm doing something different but um wow. yeah so and then when it's time to make a record i skim the best like 40 songs out of the batch and then i take the and then I listen to them and find an album of 20 out of that that are really good. And if if the other ones I might discover, I, you know, I might have like a gut feeling like, that eh, it doesn't feel right, something's wrong. And then like two years later, I'll realize, oh, it's supposed to be a lullaby or it's supposed mm-hmm. to be from the third person, not the first person. Or it's supposed to be about a bat, not a cat. <laughs> or, you know, or it's supposed to be in a different key or, you know. So it always, my gut always pays off when I... Uh, have the patience to wait mm-hmm. for the songs to kind of bloom on their own time. Now, one song especially we'd love to hear about is Long, Long Dream from the mm. album Sing Along. Yeah. Yes, Al was gracious enough to play on that. I sent him, uh, we weren't in the same place when that happened. I sent him the song, you know, email. I think he threw it in his recording program and did this incredible four. So the solo on the song is all Al. It's four accordions. Wow. Uh, one bass line, two rhythm, I believe, and one lead. And it's so when that part of the song hits, it's 100% Al. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so satisfying. It's so pro. I mean, it's way more virtuosic and pro than any solo on all my other Casper <laughs> albums. Like, I, I don't take, you know, solos that showcase my virtuosity because I don't have any. All my solos are kind of melodic, like, you know, a melody or something. Uh, but this is like a rare appearance by some serious virtuosity on a Casper album. So, um, and he did a great job recording them, and it sounds awesome, and uh, I was super proud to put it in the liner notes. Weird Al Yankovic appears courtesy of Volcano Records, a unit of Sony Music Entertainment. <laughs> so it's nice to get Al in the business of uh, back of my, one of my records. Where did the collaboration come from? Um, I just thought of it. You know, it was uh, The song needed a solo, and um, coming up with a solo for these Casper songs is always really fun, because I, I like it when the song kind of goes into a different world for the solo. And it's like a little song within the song, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that album, you know, early on when I was making these records, in the first five or six, I did a lot of guest musicians and stuff. So I was always thinking about, like, people I could invite. You know, I got uh, Steve Turner from Mud Honey to play on one. I got uh, Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam on another song. And, um, you know, a bunch of other kids' musicians have, have kind of pitched in and, 
so yeah, Al was just in, on the list. Oh, Chris Novoselic from Nirvana played a bass on a um, Nirvana cover, actually, on my third album. Wow, that's cool. Third Castro album, yeah. Uh, so I had all the grungies collected, so I just decided <laughs> I'd branch out and get Al. <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. Well, he he did play he did play Kurt Cobain. He or he uh, dressed up as Kurt Cobain for a video. So you know he's kind of a grungy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> he's a grungy by proxy. Yes. <laughs> right. So you mentioned that you have the new album coming out May first. It's called Bug Out, but it wasn't initially scheduled for May. No, scheduled. I usually put out a record mid August, uh, and then sometimes I'll pepper in another one if I'm ready. So that's why there's 17 in 10 years. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and I, so yeah, I was going to put it out in August, but then this whole uh, shutdown came along and parents and families are just like dying for new content. So, and the record was done. I mean, it was long done. Uh, so I just, I woke up one morning about two weeks ago and I was like, wait a minute, I could just put it out now. And I called my distributor and he was into it and so we scrambled, and I think I think the turnaround between that phone call and the release is like five and a half weeks wow. or something. So it's incredible. Yeah, so it'll be out digitally on the first, and then physical on the eighth. So, um, and it's called Bug Out, which turns out to be a kind of a prophetic title. <laughs> <laughs> There's a bug out there, and we can't go out because of the bug. So let's bug out. That's right. <laughs> Yeah. And is it all songs about bugs? You know, there's a lot, yeah. actually. <laughs> I don't do themed records. I decided that, although eh, some, I do a little bit of theme. Yeah. I have, a, I have a Christmas album. I have two lullaby records. I have two albums of Beatles covers. Mm-hmm. So there's a few with themes, kind of. But um, yeah, it turned out I, I looked at the track list and I was like, oh, there's a lot of bugs in here. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I'll call it Bug Out. And I'm always looking for a short you know, like I've got keep it real, away we go, here I am, sing along, you know, more please. Yeah. Um, I like these little short <laughs> phrases. So uh, bug out, just, I think it's the shortest one I've, I've done. It's only six letters. So <laughs> <laughs> usually uh, I, right around 12 or 13 letters. Right. So I'll lie in bed at night and I'm thinking of future album titles and I'll count the letters. Be like, oh, no, that's one letter too long. Okay. <laughs> So bug out is definitely the shortest. Yeah. <laughs> well, now now I guess the challenge is: can you get even shorter than bug out? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> right, right, right. Just call an album "poo." <laughs> <laughs> but that exclamation point! You know, do you need the exclamation point? Oh you know? yeah. Oh yeah. You got to count the spaces of the exclamation point right. too. So yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because if you're gonna name it "Pooh," there has to be some sort of exclamation point, you know, at least one. Oh yeah, well every every <laughs> album of mine has an exclamation point. Actually, every oh, really? title, yeah, oh yeah, every title is shouted. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you have to when you read them, you have to shout in your mind. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about this song that you wrote when you were 23 years old, somewhere between 1988 and 1989. Yeah. It is a song that you later re-recorded, but it's called Are You Going to the Weird Al Concert? And oh. I'd love to hear yeah. about this. <laughs> Are you going to the Weird Al Concert? Going to the Weird Al Show? Going to the Weird Al Concert? Well, we gotta go. Yeah, that's my childhood friend Dave Feely and I. 
Uh, we have, we've had a band since I was 10 and he was six <laughs> and we still have a band. So that's my longest collaboration. It's a beautiful collaboration because we do not, we, we've made one EP, but over the course of our, I don't know, what is it now? Like 40 year, or 40, 45 year collaboration. Um, we have not put out music because we tried recording and stuff, but really our collaboration is about um, being in the moment and just jamming and doing this like, you know, grungy, dirgy, uh, kind of repetitive, uh, trancey jam stuff. And it's really fun because it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, selling records or any of that stuff. It's just about being in the moment and playing. So Dave and I made that song up. We, you know, we've written a handful of songs together. Actually, there's a song on Kudos to You called Poor Little Me that Dave and I wrote together. Oh. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, Dave's the, you know, he was the fourth president. He's, he's the auxiliary member of everything <laughs> I've ever done. Uh, and, yeah, he, he and I wrote that song. I really don't remember much about writing it or why we wrote it or who came up with the main stuff, but... It was super fun to record, and then, yeah, when Al and I started hanging out, I sent it to him, <laughs> and uh, he was gracious enough to, you know, uh, give me some uh, some affirmative uh, thumbs up on it. <laughs> it's a very it's a it's a very sloppy four track recording. Do you guys have it? Have you heard it? I know. So I know you re-recorded it for me, myself, and I, the Weird Al tribute record in two thousand two. But I don't know that I've heard the original. Let me see if I have it. Weird. Al concert. Oh man, I don't know if I even have it. Let's see. W e i r d. I always misspell weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't think I have it in my. That's weird. Why would I not have that? Hmm. Okay, now I've got to hunt that down. <laughs> I don't know. I wonder if I called it something else. Oh, I bet I misspelled weird. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Oh my god, I misspelled weird. That is ridiculous. Wow. I just, yeah, I think I misspelled weird for the first like 35 years of my life. <laughs> okay, wait, let's see if we can play it. Oh yeah. I'm gonna go see Weird Al. Yeah. Mom drives one way, your mom drives home. My ten gallon hat made of <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's great. It's so uh, rough, four tracky. Oh, I love it. Now, so my understanding, Dave and I were talking about this earlier. So you did that Midnight Star, the Weird Al fanzine interview. You mentioned that this song existed. Uh, interview came out right around the time that uh, Al's album Bad Hair Day came out with Gump on it, and. You know, everyone was, the internet was, you know, people were kind of gathering, and, you know, it was relatively new. And all the Al fans got together and were like, I've got to hear this song. You know, this, <laughs> I'm going to the Weird Al concert song. And I think that it was uh, one of the Weird Al super fans, his name is Insane Ian. He kind of tracked you down and he was able to get you to somehow re-record the song or record the song for his tribute album. I think we had recorded it before. Oh, okay. Yeah. I think Dave and I just got together and, re and re recorded it for the, you know, for the hell of it. Yeah. <laughs> just because we liked it. <laughs> it was like something to do on a Sunday afternoon, you know. So, what was Dave's reaction to Al parodying your song? <laughs> 
Oh, he was super into it too. <laughs> he couldn't believe it. Yeah, he was he was amazed. I mean, you know, there's so many things. I, I've as I've gone along my trajectory, I called Dave every once in a while. I'm like, well, Dave, uh, I just had a long phone conversation with Wayne Kramer from the MC5, and uh, you know. <laughs> And because Dave turned me on to the MC5, yeah, you know, yeah. and I'll call him another time. Well, Dave, I just traveled all the way to the Netherlands to play with Iggy Pop and uh, the Stooges. Um, <laughs> you know, so I'm always calling yeah. him and telling him these like ridiculous things that we could. Again, the kids watching MTV on the couch would never have possibly dreamed of. Yeah. You know, well, Dave, hey, Dave, how's it going? Yeah, I just played two sold out shows with Tom Petty, uh, you know, uh, and so. Dave's always has this kind of like, uh, you know, silent bemusement every time I tell him some crazy story. <laughs> so, you know, more of the same. That's amazing. I, I'm so glad that you guys have kept this friendship and this band together for so long. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it is. In fact, um, Kate's parents live about 40 minutes north of where Dave, the job he got offered was in Ohio, in Hudson, or near Hudson, Ohio. Mm -hmm. Well, he lives in Hudson, which is 40 minutes south of where my wife Kate uh, came from. <laughs> and so, b bizarrely, I go back to Ohio like at least twice a year, and I see Dave. So, And now he has a jam space in his basement. Oh, and that's we, so cool. So we, our collaboration is just like, kept going because this miracle that of all the places he ended up and of all the places my wife's parents could be from <laughs> they're like right next to each other in ohio so weird that is weird it's meant mm -hmm. to be <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i was just there in february and we had some amazing jam sessions we set up a octave low uh, like a baritone two-string and um yeah we had some good jams he plays two-string and three-string too so <laughs> It, yeah, I, I'm sure this has been answered online and a million times. Where where does the two string and three string come from? Is that an invention of you guys? No, I got it from Mark Sandman from Morphine. Okay, uh, that's band from Boston. He played a two string slide bass, and I, I'm actually looking right now at the what he called the squashed star. It's like a Supro or like an airline guitar that's all red and kind of vinyl-y and plastic, <laughs> and uh, it was the guitar that. I learned, I first picked up in his house and played uh, and was blown away by it because it was a two string and I'd never played a two string. I just was like, oh, this is my home. I love this. <laughs> and um, so about six months or eight months before he died, uh, without any warning, he mailed me this guitar and it showed up in a big box and had a very cryptic note that just said, you're in charge of this now. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> so I still use it. I have it set up as a three-string now, a slide three-string, and there it is. It goes like this. Um, so yeah, it's one of my uh, main axes that is uh, so in my cool. little wow. well-curated collection. So yeah, he just had it. That's his style. So he was experimenting with a version that was not a slide version, but a, a version you could finger. And I picked it up, and yeah, just felt like, oh, there it is. That's that's what I want to play. Now, in the gun video, Al plays with a one-string bass guitar. Have you ever thought about playing a one-string bass? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, so I have a plan. I want to create uh, very small one-string guitars 
for babies that have built a built-in amplifier that can get distorted. And the string would be substantial enough that it wouldn't be twangy. It'd be like a nice tone. And then you would stagger the frets so that it would be a scale. So the point is the baby will never be out of tune and will never hit a bad note. I love that. And that way the parents don't suffer. And so I'm on the hunt for a guitar company that is willing to collaborate with me on this. So if anybody out there wants to collaborate i i've gone down the road with a couple companies but couldn't quite get it all finished and it's still a concept every time i describe it to parents they're like oh my god please we've been living with an out-of-tune ukulele for six years i feel like the guitar needs to have like a recording feature so you can you know keep all of the masterpieces these babies are oh that's a good idea i like that that'd be fun yeah that might be that might be mock two you know Yeah. <laughs> not Mach 5. We'll no, not Mach 5. <laughs> yeah. Keep it in earlier. <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, I, I've got a, a, a nerdy president's question that has just been on my mind for many years, and I'm hoping that you can answer this. In the song Some Postman, there is the lyric 1993, and I'm just wondering, what is the relevance of that? Oh, because the co- that solo is like, no, 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 no. It always reminded me of Nirvana, of like, uh, uh, feed kids for food, you know, where the change is mood. So what I was singing in the solo uh, reminded me of that. So 1993, the height of Nirvana. Uh, thank <laughs> you. 1993. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, finally, I can sleep soundly <laughs> yeah yeah i was ripping off kurt cobain so i thought i might as well you know put a big uh, post-it note on it <laughs> oh i love it <laughs> <laughs> well you know when that i don't want to you know i don't this might come off weird but when that nirvana when nevermind came out i was writing songs so much like that like kind of these dark weird songs i had like a three-string um, acoustic guitar with a contact mic and a distortion pedal and I was making these like dirgy things. I wasn't living in Seattle though, I was living in Boston. Hmm. And I was unaware of what was going on in Seattle. And when Nevermind came out, I remember thinking, oh, there it is. I don't have to make that record. There, there's the record I was trying to make. Uh, and just giving up on that whole batch of songs because it was wow. so much better just to listen to Nevermind. Uh, <laughs> so yeah I've always I've had I mean that album I you know I mean I'm not alone by being blown away by that album but I'm still blown away by that album some of the Casper stuff is on Sub Pop Records uh, yes I have a well I'm not on Sub Pop Records but I have a sort of affiliation with Sub Pop in that they sell Casper albums at their store at the airport at SeaTac. That is exactly, yeah, I, I bought uh, some of your stuff there. Oh, look at that. When I was in Seattle for Weird Al. There you go. <laughs> and they tell me, my people at Sub Pop tell me that I'm the best-selling act at the store in the airport. So Wow. So because of that, they invited me to play at the Sub Pop 25th, uh, was it 25th or 30th anniversary celebration last summer or two summers ago so um i'm not really a sub pop artist but i have this sub pop relationship which is great so (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah i love it yeah megan jasper and i've become friends over the last couple of years and i love her she's so fantastic 
This is so awesome. I've really enjoyed talking to you, going through the career, going through your Weird Al connections. I think we covered them all. Did we cover all the all the Weird Al connections? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, you've got the uh, the parody of Lomp. You've got you know the Al directing your music video. You've got yeah. Al appearing on you know your album uh, Sing Along on the Long Long Dream track. Now yeah. I guess or you wrote the song about you know Weird Al. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I okay. Guess, I think we've I think we've covered everything. Yeah, I think you've covered pretty much everything. I guess the only thing that's left is uh, now you've just got to get Al to do a parody of one of your Casper baby pants. Oh, <laughs> that would be incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I, it's funny. I, you know, I wonder what he's going to do next. He's been so crazy busy for the last few years. I think he might be secretly loving the shutdown. Um, not, of course, for a lot of sad reasons, but for the reason that I think. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like a break would be beautiful for him. So I think he's enjoying the downtime to some degree. But uh, yeah, well, Al, if you're listening and you get you know, you're uh, itchy to do something creative, uh, let's talk about a Casper cover. <laughs> Casper parody, yeah. I want a collab song where the two of you write it together, record it together. Let's just okay. let's have a whole new band. All right. <laughs> we can end this with this story because this is embarrassing. Okay. <laughs> um, I actually, so one night in, I don't know, 2002 or three or something, I'd had a few uh, scotches and I was in my studio hanging out and I suddenly got this idea for a parody song and I called Al, which I thought was a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I was like, yeah, I got this great idea. You know that REM song, Everybody Hurts, where they're stuck in traffic, the video, you know, everybody's in their car and there's like a subtitle with the thinking. So my version was Everybody Poops, and it was (laughs) everybody in all the cars were desperate to go to the bathroom, but they couldn't. So all their subtitles were like, oh, my God, I wish I'd gone when I was home. (laughs) And I pitched him the whole thing, you know, like I thought about it. And at the very end, I imagined when, when Michael Stipe's voice would go high on the song, like, everybody hurts. It'd be this like long sweeping track shot across like a, uh, you know, Utah desert salt plain with a porta potty way in the distance. And it would go barreling across at high speed. And <laughs> just as it would get to the porta potty, the door would kick open and it'd be Al and he'd be go, Everybody poops sometimes, so hold on, you know. Uh, of course, I go through the whole pitch, and there's silence at the other end of the line, and he's just like, I'm sorry, Chris, I don't accept parody offers from other people. So. <laughs> and he was just kind of like, uh, you know. Uh, yeah, so I, and then um, all of a sudden I realized, oh, shit. You know, I completely overstepped. And <laughs> so, <Wow. laughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll talk to you later and hung up. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. I, I hope that, yep. I hope that you one day put out that song. <laughs> well, I am actually making, uh, so I'm making this four song, seven inch Casper, seven inch. Yeah. And two of the songs are parodies. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'm so I'm, co- they're all covers. I'm covering, you got your head on backwards by the Sonics, which is a band from Seattle. That's like a very influential band from the sixties that kind of, you know, the seeds of grunge were planted with the Sonics. Um, and I performed with them a few times and that was my song I did with them. So I did a Casper version of that. 
And then I did a Casper version of I Feel Love by Donna Summer, which I kind of turned into a like a banjo song, <laughs> <laughs> like a countrified version of I Feel Love, which lyrics are intact with those two. And then I do um, a rewrite of Free Fallen by Tom Petty, and I've made it Free Crawling about <laughs> a baby who a baby who for the very first time is up on all fours now you're free free crawling you know <laughs> and then uh the last one is a parody of queen's we will rock you the title's the same but i've done it as a lullaby so we will rock you Aww. instead of not rock but rock right <laughs> yeah which i actually sent to al to get some feedback on because you know i've uh, I haven't really asked him this. Well, you know, I've asked him a little bit, like, do I, his attitude about parodies is you definitely want to get like permission from the songwriters. I don't think technically you have to, right. but he's a gentleman about it. And I'm going to try to do the same thing with these two parodies, even though I'm on my own. I don't really have a lawyer or anybody. I don't know exactly how to do that. I don't know how to contact Brian May and ask him. <laughs> if it's okay. But I figured Al would know because, you know, another one rides the bus. So right. there's a queen parody uh, <laughs> connection in the family there. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I, that's all recorded and done. Now I have to do all the sort of business end of things and get the licenses and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then uh, that's going to be a vinyl four song seven inch. That's awesome. Which I'm going to do a Kickstarter for and have Jason run. Yeah. <laughs> and I will support it. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Chris, thank you so much. This has been such an honor to have you on the show. We can check out babypantsmusic.com for all things Casper Baby Pants. We're going to pick up the new album Bug Out coming out very soon, May 1st and May 8th on CD. Thank you so much. Yeah, you bet. Take care, guys. That was so much fun. Chris Ballou is such a talented musician. I'm so glad we got to interview him. Yes, thank you so much to Chris for doing that amazing interview with us. And he even sent us his brand new album, Bug Out, before it even came out. So that's been amazing to listen to. I've been listening to it and other Casper Baby Pants stuff quite a bit since we recorded that. And you know what I realized, Dave? Casper Baby Pants music is pretty much brand new Presidents of the United States of America music in disguise. So in the interview when I asked him if we'd ever get new music from Presidents, the real answer is we pretty much already are. Yeah, it is such a great album. I'm so glad that he's releasing it early, and I'm so glad that he sent it to us. Now, Ethan, I know that Gump is one of your all-time favorite songs. Did you know that I have two pieces of Gump memorabilia in my Weird Al collection? What? No way, Dave. I'm pretty sure I showed these to you when you came over, but the first piece I got is from the Gump music video, and I picked up this piece at Alcon 98, and these are the actual gold boots that Al is wearing in the music video. Whoa, that is so cool. Have you ever put them on? I have not actually tried those on, and here's the reason why. Because on the bottom of one of the boots, there is actually still attached some dried up mud from the actual music video shoot. <laughs> you gotta preserve that mud! <laughs> Right, so I don't want to put on the shoes and dislodge that piece of dirt that is attached to the bottom of the sole of the shoe. <laughs> All right, if you ever do, and some of that dirt does dislodge, I'll hope that you'll save some of it for me, Dave. 
I will trade you some of the dirt from the music video shoot for that amazing piece from the Smells Like Nirvana song. I think I'd have to trade it for a little bit more than a piece of dirt, but I'll trade you something else for the dirt. So what is the other thing? The other thing is also from the Weird Al music video, and this one I picked up pretty recently. I'm not sure if you actually got to see it yet, but this is the actual guitar, the one-string guitar that (laughs) Al plays in the music video. Wow. Now that is an instrument I could learn how to play. (laughs) (laughs) it's really easy to play it's a real actual guitar it's not like a prop guitar it's an actual guitar and there's just one string going down it's a heavy guitar it's it's you've seen the video it's green and you know kind of got that really cool shape to it yeah it's really a cool piece you know i don't play guitar but i do think i could figure this one out it wouldn't be that tough oh that's so awesome So those are my two pieces from the Gump music video. I'm hoping to track down some other things because I want to be able to recreate the entire Gump music video in my backyard. I just need to install a fountain. (laughs) Well, I'll be Ruth Buzzy. (laughs) (laughs) Now that I would pay to see. (laughs) After our interview, Chris sent us both versions of his song, Are You Going to the Weird Al Concert? That's the one that appears on Insane Ian's Me, Myself, and I Weird Al Tribute album, plus the actual unreleased original version. Oh, man, I'm just too excited, Dave. Let us listen to the world premiere of the original version of Chris Ballou's Are You Going to the Weird Al Concert? Like we're 
Wow, I love that. It is such a catchy tune. And going to a Weird Al concert, I mean, that song really speaks to me. <laughs> Thank you, Chris, for letting us premiere it on our podcast. Oh, Dave, you know what? We have something else that we can world premiere on our podcast this week. Ooh, this is really exciting. Two world premieres in one podcast. What is it? All right, Dave, think back. Do you remember your first grade teacher? Oh, yeah, Miss O'Hara. She was really cool and very nice. All right. Well, did she ever make you guys a music video for your classroom? No, I'm way too old for any kind of music videos in the classroom. I mean, I guess she could have made one of those 35 millimeter film strips. Uh, okay, boomer. Uh, anyway, you know, my first grade teacher, Mrs. Roy, one time I was just like looking at my hand and I extended my ring finger, not my middle finger, my ring finger. And she was like, Ethan, go to your chair. And I got in trouble. So I'm not too fond of Mrs. Roy. Oh, yeah, I could see how that could ruin the rest of your academic career. I never recovered from that. I turned to Weird Al and never looked back ever since. So there is a first grade teacher that I know both you and I would really enjoy. Yes, and we got to meet him in person at one of the Seattle Strings Attached Tour shows that we went to. Steve Allen, also known as Mr. Allen, that guy who you're thinking of, he just put out a brand new music video with his own theme song. And it sounds a little bit familiar, so I want you to check it out here. World premiere on Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast. It's Mr. Allen's first grade online classroom. Learning is fun. It's Mr. Allen's first grade online classroom. Elmer Eagle's sword. Mr. Allen's first grade online classroom. Our classes are the same without you. Mr. Allen's first grade online classroom. Wow, it is so awesome. It is yet another awesome parody of the greatest podcast theme song of all time. Our very own Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast theme song by Grammy-nominated Jim Kimo West. If you are musically inclined and you'd like to record a cover or a parody of our theme song, send it to us and maybe we will even have a world premiere of it on the show. Cool. I'm looking forward to seeing what people send in. So is there anything else you want to add before we wrap this episode up? Trust me, I'm so freaking excited that we got to have Chris Ballou on as a guest this week. But to be honest, there's just this little tiny piece of me that's just a little bit bummed that we didn't get to, you know, do an entire episode about finances and accounting and taxes. So would you say you're 0.73% upset? Exactly. I'll tell you what, Ethan. I will let you do the Don Ferlazzo ad all by yourself this week. Will that make you feel better? Will it? Yeah! This week's episode brought to you in part by the Don Ferlazzo Allstate Agency in Clifton Park, New York. If you drive like crazy or about to buy you a condo, Don Ferlazzo and his team can help you with crazy good auto, home, and renter's insurance. Plus, the Ferlazzo Agency can protect all your favorite stuff, like the dirt on the bottom of your gump shoes. You may think your insurance is good enough for now, but don't wait one more minute. Find the Ferlazzo Allstate on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or give them a call, 518-278-3543 for a free quote today. The Ferlazzo Agency. We sell insurance, and that's all. 
Now, don't you feel better? I do. Good. Thank you. You know, each week we can bring you this podcast absolutely free due to these sponsors and every single one of our listeners who support us over at patreon.com slash 2000 inch. Patreon helps us pay the bills and ensures that we can continue doing what we love, and that's making fun, family-friendly, entertaining Weird Al podcasts for you. If you enjoy the podcast and want to support our making of more quality weekly podcasts for your entertainment, please consider joining our Patreon family and supporting us, or even sponsoring us, over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We have supporter tiers that start for as little as a dollar a month. And there is another way you can support the podcast as well. That is to visit and purchase something from our official Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast merchandise shop. Ethan, we have some great stuff over there. We have a Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast logo tote bag. Whoa! You can use that tote bag for when you go shopping and you pick up your New York Times newspaper. You can head on over to shop.2000inch.com for that tote bag and other great items. Thanks again to Chris Ballou, Vincent Anderson, Mr. Allen, and all of our listeners, subscribers, and of course, our Patreon supporters and sponsors over at patreon.com slash 2000inch. We also want to thank everyone who follows us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We are at 2000inch. And for those of you who've joined our Facebook group, group.2000inch.com, a thank you to you as well. Be sure to join us in conversation on social media using the hashtag 2000inch and hashtag gill and chill. Find us online at 2000inch.com and make sure to share our posts, tell your friends about the Weird Al podcast, and leave us messages to play on the air 27 hours a day by calling 347-SPATULA. One last thing I want you guys to do, I want you to go over to Apple Podcasts, to Google Podcasts, to Stitcher, or the podcast app of your choice, and hit the subscribe button. This way, you will not miss a single episode of our amazing, wonderful, fabulous podcast. It's so amazing and wonderful and fabulous, Dave. I just can't take it. Ethan, before we end this episode, there's one last question I got to ask you. Are you going to the Weird Al concert? Weird Al Show. Are you going to the Weird Al concert? Well, you gotta go. Which Weird Al concert? Which which show are you talking about? Are you going to the Weird Al concert? Weird Al Show. Are you going to the Weird Al concert? Well, you gotta go. Which one? Seriously, Dave, which which show? I'll be there. I just... I, where, when? Dave? Dave, you there? Hello? Dave, which show? Which one? Did, did they announce a, another show? That was Dave and Ethan's 2000-inch Weird Al podcast, episode 50-inch. And that's all I have to say about that.